Good morning, Oasis. I could also talk louder if I need to. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. It's a beautiful day. Um, so my name is Taryn Gomez. Um, and as a church, our mission is to help people become and grow into mature disciples of Jesus. We believe a disciple should seek God, belong to community, and serve the world. Seek, belong, and serve. Welcome to any guests that are visiting us today, whether in person or online. If this is your first time here physically, we would like to give you an Oasis coffee mug. Um, if this is the first time you're joining us online, please let us know by filling out a connection card in the Connect With Us tab on our website, www.celebratethejourney.org. Uh, for those of you here, uh, you can find the connections on the center back table. We don't ask this information to pester you too much, but to provide you with some information about Oasis to help you decide if this is the place where God wants you to attend. Um, if you have any questions before you leave today, just ask someone, and if they don't know the answer, they will direct you to someone who does. The connection cards can also be used to sign up to receive a weekly email with a link to our newsletter or you can text the keyword newsletter to the number on the screen. Uh, this email needs to build community as well as experience the power and presence of God together. Our next community prayer is July 6th in the sanctuary here. Uh, we believe supporting the local church through the giving of tithes and offerings. Uh, whether you are here in the sanctuary or sitting at home, um, if you are here with us, there is a joy box on the wall by the back doors where you can place your tithes and offerings. If you're at home, you can mail your tithes and offerings to the church office or go to the Give tab on our website and set up a one-time or recurring offering amount. The online Bible study of the month right now is Right Now Media, or by Right Now Media, is Greater Than by Francis Chan. And, oh, one more week for the baby bottle drives for Hope Pregnancy. This is, sorry, this is their largest fundraising event of the year. It runs from Mother's Day to Father's Day. So feel free, if you have not yet, grab an empty bottle if you already took a bottle try to remember to bring it back next week um and yeah it's a great way to be able to support um, a wonderful organization that is near and dear to our hearts um checks coins cash anything everything put it on in um, and it will be used uh, very well they're good stewards of their resources so um thank you very much and without further ado i will hand this over to dennis Thank you, Taryn. You did a good job. She didn't say, um. She says it with a Boston accent, um. Good morning. Is this on there? Uh, check, check, check. Is it? Can you hear me? Is it on? Is it? Oh, okay, good, good. All right. Just want to make sure that uh, nobody falls asleep. You won't? <laughs> Thanks, Bats. I appreciate that. It's awkward when somebody snores right in the front row. Right. 
All right, before we get going, a couple announcements. We have a new member of the Oasis family. Christine, Christine, wave to everyone or stand up or. Christine is our new uh, executive admin, so she is the, the brains of the organization at this point, uh, keeper of the keys. Um, she has the uh, controls to the moat, all of those good things. And Smarties, which is my favorite candy, though I will say they don't work, so if you were wondering. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so she is doing a great job. She just kind of got uh, off. This was your first full week, right? Ish, ish, ish. Next week starts the first like down and dirty. Um, our first Christine uh, has been helping out, and um, she really you know put some time in with Christine to help her kind of get acclimated. But it's a it's, there's a lot of moving parts to this job. You wouldn't think but there are so uh, you can remember to pray for her. and she has to put up with me so there's always that um, and you can was that huh what's that <laughs> ha 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 um, Kurt Fountain Kurt sits over there uh, he's going for back surgery on Tuesday so keep him in your prayers it's a quick um, he said it's a quick surgery. It's about an hour, but what they're doing, I guess, um, there's going to be some, uh, it's going to take a while for him to, to get back at it and, and walking regular. Uh, and he's looking to swing clubs before my son goes back to school because he wants to beat him on the golf course. So I'll be praying for him. And also, last but not least, next week in Rocky Hill at Oasis of Life Church, not the Oasis, but we call that just the, the Oasis North. Uh, they're having a men's breakfast, uh, 10 o'clock for the guys. Um, Dr. J, I, he was here uh, once, Dr. J, he holds the office of prophet. Uh, he's going to be speaking at that breakfast. I want to encourage you guys to come out to that breakfast. All are invited. Uh, back there on the table, there are these cards or these invites that give you the time, the date, and the address. Uh, come on out. And, and guys, I'll tell you, th those who uh, missed it yesterday, uh, we had a great men's breakfast here at the church. We had about 25, 26 guys. Only six came from our community, which means that we had a bunch of people from a bunch of different churches. Turning Point guys were there. Pastor Ken Gray from Calvary Life, uh, he came and he spoke on his journey and how God healed him of depression. It was a real powerful testimony. We had Mark over here behind the grill flipping pancakes and cooking. He brought in the egg and sausage casserole now tony did you make that we both see how she loves him that way she brings him in but but no guys really it, it was it was a good time and we have to get back into the rhythms of our own personal discipleship engaging in community seeking god and ultimately out there serving uh the country it's, it's who we are as a church we we're looking to seek god belong to community and serve um so guys next week uh, stay tuned for the next one here. And uh, yeah, let's get into this. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for your church, your people. But we also thank you and recognize the love that you have for this entire world that you gave your son to, to die for whoever, whoever puts their faith in him. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. 
my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So in a lifetime long ago, after I was a mechanic, uh, auto mechanic, after my stint with Earl, um, I moved to a Saturn dealership where I became a service advisor. And I also became the, the dispatch of the shop, so I would, you know, hand the guys their, you know, their jobs for the day and, and, and all that. But in that job, there were four of us, four service advisors, um, and we hierarchy or whatever. But at, at the end of each month, we would get a commission check on the labor that went through the shop. And I forget if it was a percent, a half, or I have no idea. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but I remember, I remember one month I got my commission check and I looked, I'm like, wow, we did really good or this is a huge mistake. And it wasn't just for, like, like it, it felt like minutes where um, one of my team members, we worked for Saturn, so you didn't have, you had team members, everything was fuzzy, warm team. Anyway, um, one of my team members came to me and said, they made a mistake on our checks, don't say anything. There's, there's really no way that they can figure this out. Um, and, and it was like, I'm gonna say, it was like double what we usually get. So if we got a thousand bucks, it was like two. And it was enough for me to go, whoa, this is a mistake. Um, and I was like, <laughs> okay. And it wasn't long after that where the other two came and said, hey, did you, you got me, we should just, shh. And man, this is just kind of eating away at me here. And, and it wasn't because, you know, I'm a Christian now. It's just, it's just basic morality. Like you shouldn't steal from the hands that are feeding you. Um, and so I kind of, you know, stewed on it and it was going through the day. And finally I was just like, I, I gotta say something. So I walked up to the business office and I said, hey, I think you made a mistake on my commission check. And I showed it to her, the business office manager. And uh, she's like, yeah. And we looks like we made a mistake on all of them. I'm like, oh, great. And, and so, uh, so they, they, they issued four new checks. You know, later that day I got my check. Well, needless to say, there was a bit of tension now between myself and my other three team members. Um, they didn't talk to me for at least, let, we got paid on Thursday. They didn't talk to me until at least I, I can remember, it must have been like the following week, Monday or Tuesday. Like, didn't talk to me. It's weird when you have to have conversations with people you work with. It was a few months after that that I got pulled into my manager's office and sat down with the general manager. And uh, they made all of these accusations about how I was ignoring customers. And I'm like, like what? Can you, can you give me an answer? Well, you know, we really can't, but, but you were seen by your teammates ignoring customers. I'm like, I'm sorry? I, I don't remember. Well, it was a few weeks after that that uh, it was for my benefit and the benefit of the company that I should probably be laid off and seek employment elsewhere. And I'm like, ah, okay. And in that time, I was transitioning. I was getting out of the automotive industry, going into uh, the um, uh, computer industry, network administration. So it wasn't, it, it just felt weird because like, okay, I, I'm getting laid off again. I just got laid off, laid off from a job and now this is happening again. Um, it wasn't till about five or six years later, I received a phone call out of the blue, and it was one of my teammates. 
that I hadn't talked to in, since I left. And um, he apologized to me for throwing me under the bus and for saying all of those things that they said that got me um, pretty much fired, but they were nice enough to let me collect. And I thought, wow, I, I, I knew it. Like, like I had it in me. Like I, I wasn't ignoring customers because that's how we made money. And then years later, I found out it was because I didn't compromise just basic morality. Is, is somebody crying? Oh, Who's, whose dog is it? Who is it back there? I, who, okay. All right, just please don't let it pee on the carpet. And, and if it continues to bark, will you bring it outside? Thanks. And so because I chose not to compromise, I lost my job. I'm not sure if you noticed, but if you are a follower of Jesus, a, a biblical follower of Jesus, meaning that you follow Jesus according to what the Bible says and not what you just kind of want to make up. If you are a biblical follower of Jesus, you may have noticed that within our American culture, you may be uh, seeing evidence that we may be pushed, pulled into places where we may need to compromise our biblical morality or our biblical ethic or even just basically the word of God to kind of fit into what the world is doing the direction it's moving. I don't know if you've noticed this either, but our country, our culture, it, it, it seems bigger than normal to me, but there is this shift that, that has taken place uh, that is wanting to create almost a new culture that stands in direct contention to the Word of God and direct contention to what God says. And because of that, again, you may be required, you may be required to compromise. The pressure for God's people to compromise, to give into the world, has been a thing since there has been God's people. It's, this is nothing new um, that we're, we're dealing with. And really, the compromise comes down to this, to this simple uh, idea, um, and it's, it's holiness. We are being, always have been pushed, um, persuaded, uh, violence, and acted upon the church to compromise its holiness. Now, holiness is, it sounds like this really big word, but it's very, very simple. Holiness is just about being separate being separated from and so holiness for us for the church is when when you are going to follow the word of god as best as you can if you're going to follow this book and and, and dare i say all of the do's and the don'ts of this book if you're going to follow it then you will stand separate from 
what the world follows. You will look different from someone who doesn't. This is the basic fundamental understanding of holiness. That our lives would be marked with an evidence of God. His word, our obedience to his word, that's holiness. And it should look different from the world's. Our lives are to be governed, ruled, not influenced, governed by this word. I think I said last week that I've been going through the Old Testament prophets. I finished up with Ezekiel and I popped right into Daniel. Daniel's a great book. But chapter one really kind of, of gripped me and I kind of hung out there for a while. I'm way past chapter one, but I, you know, just that whole marination thing and, I, and, and I'm thinking about stuff. And, and chapter one of Daniel presents these, what, what happens is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia, he comes and he puts a thumping on Judah, takes them all captive. And so now he's looking for some of the cream of the crop of the people that he got from Judah. And so he tells his chief eunuch, and let me just say this, even if you're the chief eunuch, it's probably not a job you want. So I digress. Uh, so he, um, he tells his chief eunuch, find me some, find me the cream of the crop. Find me, find me people who, who have got it going on. And so these four guys get picked, Daniel and his three buddies. And, and this chapter one is all, it's really about the king of Babylon influencing or trying at least to influence these, these young teenagers of God. He's trying, this culture is trying to get God's people in line with the culture. They're trying to get them to assimilate. It's kind of like the Borg, you know, resistance is few. It didn't take. All right, so we're going to try something else here. Daniel, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go old school and use what we call the Bible. This is made of trees out of the garden. The tree of good and evil. Here it is. All right, Daniel, chapter one. Verses three through four. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So this was the plan of King Nebuchadnezzar. He is about to get to the cream of the crop. He wants to get them to assimilate into the, um, into the nation of Babylon to make sure that they become one of them. And they're chosen because of that. Now, Daniel and his friends, they are probably between 13 and 16 years old. They are literally teenagers maybe even like middle school teenagers. 
We know this because, well, at least for Daniel, he was still alive when the, uh, when, um, when the, the captivity ended. Seventy years later, we know that he was alive. And so there he is. He is going to spend the rest of his life kind of in this place of, of exile with a king that wants to make him into one of his servants. Now, in verse 4, it says this. He's looking for, he's looking to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Teach them literature, teach them the language. This is their quest to get these young men to learn the worldview of Babylonia to understand kind of who this country is, who this culture is, the worldview about what is important to this culture, what this culture will, will tolerate, what the culture will not tolerate, what is uh, inclusive, what is exclusive. And it even has its, uh, its link to understanding God or in sin and humanity's relationship to God. Now, in the Chaldean country in Babylon, uh, it wasn't the true God they had many different gods and so they're trying to literally assimilate these guys into the worldview to understand that this is the proper way to engage life this is the proper way to uh, live your life under the auspice of of this that's your gods these are your gods this is what we welcome this is what we tolerate this is what we we want our society to look like I'm going to go out on a limb and say everything that Babylon was teaching Daniel was against the word of God. It was a pagan, pagan country, uh, culture. In fact, the word Chaldean, the word Chaldean can also be used for the word astrologer. And so we know that Daniel and his friends would have been, uh, been taught divination, meaning trying to predict the future by looking at the stars and seeing what all the celestial bodies were lining up and what they may be uh, telling about the future. Or there was another way they did that. I'm not really sure how they would use sheep livers. Ew. I'm not quite sure how, what they would see in the sheep liver, but they, they use them. And, and, and we know that this stands in direct conflict with the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah says, wait, wait, wait. wait. You're going to have people go to, God's people go to a, a magician or a necromancer to, to, to see what's going to happen in the future? You mean, you mean you're going to make God's people talk to the dead about the living? It doesn't make sense. In fact, it's a sin. God calls that an abomination. That we would go to something else some other spiritual entity or force for our, our uh, spiritual expression and or revelation. This is what Daniel was being taught. The teenagers went through the classes. But if you read the book of Daniel, we'll see that it didn't change their worldview. They were rooted in who God is and who they are in relation to God. There is a pressure in our culture. 
I think that pressure is is extremely high that we, the church, would forget or change our biblical worldview. That we would say, you know, some of these things in this here book, it's cultural. It was for back then. It's, it's very different now. No, it's not. God's word is eternal. That means it's forever. But this attack, it's coming at us. It's coming at us through our media. It's coming at us through our, uh, the entertainment industry, through music, through movies, through TV. It's coming at us through politics. And, you know, um, be prepared because it may come at you at the place where you work, where you will have to compromise your worldview to fit in to your job. Our culture is pushing a new thought process on everyone. And it has creeped its way into the church. There are entire denominations that have turned away from the Word of God into uh, a cultural, feel-good faith. It's a dangerous place to be. I went to stop and shop yesterday morning and uh, before the men's breakfast we needed some we needed uh, some cream so I walk in the stop and shop only place open right here in Cheshire and uh, it's early so it's kind of kind of empty and I walk in and cream's all in the back and I'm walking through the aisle and I'm, I'm just listening to the music and, and I hear and, and please hear my heart in this okay like like, like just my heart in this and as I'm listening I was listening to the music and I'm listening the announcement came on you know the radio announcement and they were talking about how stop and shop is um, promoting or, or, or focusing or um, LBGTQ products products from companies that have LBGTQ uh, owners, CEOs, or whatever. And then there's they, they said, and you can shop because it's Pride Month in our entire aisle of Pride Month uh, stuff. You can buy flags and T-shirts and all kinds of things for your picnic. And I thought, as the church, we are not to stand in judgment. We are to stand in love and profess and proclaim the word of God. That's our job. We are not, we don't think that we are better than anyone because we are not, because there are none righteous. No, not one. That includes us. The only way that we get to stand before God, the only way I get to stand before God is because of the blood of Christ. Period, And that blood is enough to cover everyone's sin in the entire world. But the, the, the attempt at our world, our culture, to change our worldview is just this constant dripping of a faucet, a normalizing something that is, stands against the word of God. Dare I say... A man cannot become a woman. A woman cannot become a man. There I said it. It's on the internet. It's, 
But we as the church, we have to be careful because at first I got aggravated. I'm like, oh, what's what? The, and, I was, and God was like, really? Oh, Mr. Shinier than the rest. Oh, uber Christian Dennis, you're going to get angry at other people's sin. Hello. And then the checklist went off. Remember this morning? Remember yesterday? And I immediately I was humbled and saddened. My anger kind of dissipated and I felt it's just this, this ease into a defiance against God's word. They're getting us. They want to change the worldview. They want to change our worldview. Because if you're against any of the new worldview, you become a bigot. You become a racist. You become a white supremacist. You become all of these other, um, I can't even think of the ology words they, they use xenophobia, uh, all the phobias. And I say, no, adherence to the word of God is not a disease to be treated. It's a life to be embraced. Boom. Did you do that, Chris? She's good. She's good. But to change the worldview, it wasn't enough for Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't enough just to get them to think differently about their, uh, their culture, to accept the things that the Babylonians accepted and to reject the things that their faith in the one true God accepted. Where am I? There I am. The king of Babylonia wasn't only going after the worldview. He was going after what these guys worshipped. We all worship something. Even the most secular person worships something. They put something up here as ultimate. And so let me just read. Uh, among these, and, and these are um, the, the Daniel and his four friends. Among these were Daniel. Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel he called Belteshar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Michelle he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We all know that. But what's interesting here, he just didn't give them new names. Like maybe, um, you know, the Babylonians couldn't pronounce the Hebrew names, so they gave them some Babylonian names to make it easier to roll off the tongue. I say, oh, nay, nay, because Daniel, the name Daniel means Elohim is my judge. That uh, Elohim is another Old Testament name for God. God is my judge. They changed his name to Balthazar, which means may Bel protect his life. Bel is the Babylonian, like he's the big God. He is the Lord of the, he's considered the Lord of the gods. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Shadrach, his new name, means a coup is exalted. Babylonian god of the moon, a coup. Michelle means who is what Elohim is. 
Meshach means who is what Aku is. Azariah means Yahweh is my helper. Yahweh, another word for God. Abednego means the servant of Nebo. Now, I think he's got the worst pagan name of them all because Nebo was the god of vegetables. And so, like, like he's the servant of the god of vegetables. I wonder if broccoli made him gaseous. These boys would absolutely know what their name mean. Remember, names in the ancient world, they just weren't a, a label or a tag. It, it had to do with your lineage. It had to do with your character. It had to do with kind of who you are and where you grew up. So a name was a big deal. And these guys would know that their name had to do, connected them to the one true God. Like, like Elohim is my judge. Yes, that's, that, that's a biblical truth. Yahweh is gracious. Biblical truth. Who is what God is? Like, I'm not what God is. In fact, no one is what God is. Another biblical truth, Yahweh is my helper. Another biblical truth, they are trying to take their focus off of the Lord their God and put their focus or their worship to make much of their own gods by giving them a name that worships their own gods. It's this subtle little twist that they're playing with. Let's get their focus off of their God. And we got a bunch of them over here that are just flavor of the month. Take your pick. You see, if the Babylonians knew, if, if they can just get them to forget, then they could get them to assimilate. You know, our culture is trying to remove the name of God from all public discourse. They've already removed it from our schools. I remember Chuck Colson once was asked, uh, he was in Florida. Chuck Colson was on the uh, part of the Nixon presidency, he was, went, did jail time, and then he had a prison ministry. And he went down to Florida to do some speaking, and a principal of a high school came up to him and said, Chuck, let me ask you this question. We are having this rash of theft in our schools. They're, they're taking, like, big stuff, TVs and things. What can we do about it? And Chuck looked at him and said, how about putting a sign on the wall that says, thou shalt not steal? God is, God is being removed from public discourse. Evolution is taught not as theory, but as fact. They want to take God out of the basic fundamental premise of that's how we got here. Let's, get, let's remove that. Because if there is a God, which there is, but I'm thinking in their thought process, if there is a God that has created all of this, then that God is pretty powerful. And he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our obedience. And that scares the daylights out of those who do not want to believe God. Because that changes everything. That doesn't make them all powerful with all of the answers it makes him and they don't like that 
humanity has done quite a nice job of trying to make themselves into their own gods. I do it. I try to, I, like, there's, there's certain, I'll be honest, there's certain things, I, I just know better than God in some things. And if you would just, like, follow my direction, I am sure things would be much smoother. Well, think about that. And, and I believe, like, I'm committed, uh, at least I think I am. Can you imagine then those who disregard the word of God? They put themselves in that place of ultimate. And so there's this campaign, chapter one of Daniel, to assimilate these young men into the Babylonian culture. They go after their worldview, get them to believe that what the culture of Babylon is doing is the right way to live. The gods we worship, the things that we accept, the things that we promote, this is the way to live. This is the worldview that you need to have. And they went after uh, Daniel and his friends worship. If we can get them to forget about their God, they're going to end up worshiping our God. We'll just bring them slowly and slowly in. But there was one more thing that the king went after, and he went after the everyday, mundane kind of stuff. Check this out. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, this is Daniel taking the lead. The, the king, just so you know, king's food is pretty good food. The best, the best meat, the best veggies, the best wine and because these these cream of the crop from judah were to be brought up and all that was babylonian he wants to turn them on to the diet of the kingdom well daniel says no i will not defile myself now what what really interests me is first they go after their worldview and we don't see a lot of pushback from daniel or, or his friends. They just kind of go along with the flow. Maybe they're flying under the radar. We know that that worldview change did not take effect. They, they changed their names, and I'm sure that these guys are answering to their new names, but yet they haven't forgotten the Lord their God. And, and, and so they really don't make a fuss of that stuff. When it comes down to the food, Daniel says, no, that's too far. Ain't going to do it. Not going to eat the food of the king. And I have to think, like, why? Was, it, was he a vegetarian? No, doubtful. Maybe he was a teetotaler and didn't think that wine was acceptable. No, chapter 10 of Daniel, we see that he fasts. He refrains from meat and wine for a period of two or three weeks. Um, and so uh, it, it tells me that that, that that was part of his normal diet. So what was happening that he did not want to eat the king's food? Pagan cultures sacrificed especially higher-ups, would sacrifice animals to their gods, to idols. And in that context, they would take that, <laughs> this is kind of weird to me, they would take that cooked meat and they would place it before these idols so that they can eat first. And then they would take what's left over and they would bring it to the king's table. Okay. Okay. 
But in the scripture, in Daniel would have been brought up that you do not eat food that has been dedicated or sacrificed to idols. See, it wasn't about the food. It wasn't about the meats. It wasn't about the wine. It was about how that was prepared. It was about him eating possibly meat that was unlawful for him to eat, first of all, and then possibly eating meat that would have been defiled by being sacrificed and offered to these false gods. And let me tell you something about false gods really quickly. There's a little caveat. I'm not going to charge for this. But in the reality of, of worship of false gods, there is a worship of the demonic. It's not just they're worshiping this piece of wood that, that has nothing to do with anything. It's, it's demonic. If you bow down in worship to a piece of wood, that wood has become a demo demonic symbol or <laughs> contain a demonic spirit. And so Daniel, knowing this, says, no, I will not defile my, I will not sin. I will not come before God and just, just throw away the things that I've been taught. I will not dishonor him, willfully dishonor him by taking part in what the king has asked me to take part in. I'm not going to do it. And so, this, remember, these are kids. These are 13, four, maybe 16 oldest. These are kids, and they're standing firm like that. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Dennis, what's wrong with you? You have these, yeah, different time. Yep, they're still kids or kids. Go to a middle school someday and watch 13 year olds run around and then tell them, you can't have meat. <laughs> they don't care. And yet these young men would not be influenced in their worldview, would not be influenced in their worship. It would not be influenced to completely disregard what God has called them to. They would not willfully embrace sin. What, what I find um, really this, this, this influence that was trying to be pushed onto these guys, it wasn't just to, it wasn't just this internal thing. We want these four young men, we want them to live a completely new way forgetting about everything that they were brought up in, their faith, and live entirely in a new way. Everything that they would worship would be new. Everything that they would eat would be new. The clothes that they wear would be new. The jobs that they have would be new. Everything. They wanted to forget about God and move into a secular slash demonic culture. And Daniel stood his ground. He said, no. I'm hoping that we could take a few minutes this morning. No, I'm not hoping. We're going to. Um, because I know that when, when I, when I kind of grabbed a hold of this, when God grabbed a hold of it for me, and, and this was going to be one big sermon and there's more to it, but I couldn't fit it all into into a Sunday. And instead of going for like three hours on one Sunday, I figured I'd do an hour and a half on two Sundays. So we'll pick this up next week. But 
but I, but I thought this be a, a good place to stop because we see these these three assaults on on uh, on these godly young men, and I'm telling you, these same assaults are coming at you. They're coming at me, and and they're not even trying to hide it anymore. It's just blatantly in our face. Boom! There it is. Assimilate or get out. And some of us may find ourselves in that situation. It, it, it may be coming. And, and I thought I was convicted of the places where, where I've allowed myself to compromise. I mean, we all, we all will do it. I pray that we all are strengthened in our spirit not to, less and less, to, to compromise who we are. But church, I'm telling you, Christian, I'm telling you, your worldview is being attacked. Nickelodeon has Drag Queen Story Hour. It's not funny. And I, I, I watched it. Um, I didn't watch the, I, I watched some uh, videos of it. It's not funny. And it's going after four, five, six, seven-year-old kids trying to change their worldview to say that this is okay, that a grown man with clown-esque makeup and a wig can dance around in a child's atmosphere saying, singing the hips on the drag queen go swish, swish, swish. And I thought, oh, really? Before we get to that in the church, let's repent now with the little compromise that we have made, that we have, may have made, in the little places where we've kind of given an inch, allowed that to slide, uh, turned our back on that. We're all doing it, but, but, but it's going to come to a point where we are going to have to take a stand. And, and, and I just don't see any other way. And, and we don't stand in arrogance. We don't stand in pridefulness. We don't stand politically. God is king. We don't vote for kings. He is king. And so we stand with compassion. We stand with the sadness that, that there are going to be people that will spend eternity in hell. Eternity in hell. That should break our hearts. There may be friends and family members that we have that will spend eternity in hell because they have bought into this new worldview lie. It should break our hearts. <laughs> 